This is Search for Truth. I'm your host, John Martin, and I'm delighted to welcome you to your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. Today, Brian begins a new series of 10 programs, which is called The Supremacy of Christ. Each week, Brian will be focusing on a fresh attribute of what makes Christ the incomparable Sovereign Lord. So let's start at the very beginning, as they say, with John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word. So, over to you, Brian. Thank you, John. And as you say, I'm going to be using the Gospel by John. So, when the Apostle John, by the Spirit, used the title Word, he was using a term familiar to the Greek mind of his day. They used it to express the principle, or rationale, which they understood to be responsible for the creation of the universe. What came as a revelation from God through John's writing was the identification of this abstract creation principle with a person, that of God the Son. That this is a title of the Lord Jesus is quite clear from verse 14 of John chapter 1, where it says, The Word became flesh. God the Son became flesh in order to reveal the eternal God to us. With that in mind, we might still ask ourselves, why this particular title of the Word? We think of how we ourselves use words in order to communicate with each other. We reveal what's in our mind by our words. The eternal God has expressed his mind in the one who is the Word. In Jesus, the Word, God has fully revealed his character and perfectly declared his will. What can we learn about God's Son from the opening verses of John's Gospel, where he's introduced to us as the Word? What sort of person is he? Seven points have been noted. First of all, he was in the beginning. That's John 1 and verse 1 as we heard in opening. This reminds us of the very opening words of the Bible, which take us back to the time of the creation. In other words, the first thing we learn here about the Word is his pre-existence. He didn't become, nor was he made, as is said of other things in the following verses. What this shows is his eternity, and it's confirmed by so many other Bible texts. He is before all created things, according to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. This echoes the prophecy of Micah, that the one who was to be born in Bethlehem, the Word become flesh, would be the one whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Yes, the Word is the eternal Word. And then we read, he was with God. Literally, he was towards God. The word that's translated here as with conveys the idea of communion between different persons. It indicates personal companionship and the enjoyment of fellowship together. So this teaches us, obviously, about the personality of the Word, someone capable of complete fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Word is the personal Word. And then next in John chapter 1 we read that he was God. That's really plain, isn't it? And yet this statement has been made the centre of controversy by false teachers. We may be absolutely clear that to insert the indefinite article, an ah, and to say that he is a God is completely wrong grammatically. There's no question on which side the qualified experts are, as witness the rules of Greek grammar that even a novice can read, where they can find this very example discussed. Therefore, as it stands, it gives crystal clear testimony to the deity of the word. In any case, this truth is very clear from many other Bible texts. 
Two from Matthew will serve our purpose as examples. In Matthew chapter 3 and verses 1 to 6, we read about how John the Baptist fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, which talked about preparing the way for the Lord. And the Baptist relates that to his very own work, preparing the way for the Lord Jesus, which means Jesus is the very one whom Isaiah calls God. Matthew then takes up another of Isaiah's great prophecies in describing the birth of the Lord Jesus in terms of Isaiah's predicting of the virgin-born Emmanuel, whose name means God with us. Many among the cults profess difficulty with the truth of the Trinity. And while it's absolutely true that the term Trinity isn't found in the Bible, its truth certainly is. As Luke records the announcement to Mary by Gabriel concerning the birth of the Lord, we've clear reference made to the deity of the one who's to be born and to the fact of the Trinity. In Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 35, the child to be born is declared to be the Son of the Most High or the Son of God. It's prophesied that the conception would be a work of the Holy Spirit and that the Lord God would give the child the throne of David. So there are references to three distinct persons there, yet all with the same nature, existing as one God. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, John the Baptist publicly witnesses to the Lord Jesus as being the Lamb of God and the Son of God. Thus the Lord is presented in that first chapter as the Word, the Lamb and the Son. This Word is without doubt the Divine Word. And all things, we're told, were made by him. That's found in verse 3 of John's Gospel, chapter 1. Here we find the word creating. The Apostle Paul begins his letter to the Colossians with the same truth. For in him, that is in Christ, were all things created. All things have been created through him and unto him. Nothing could be clearer than this, and it must be our final answer to the atheistic evolutionist. And then, fifthly, if you're counting, in him was life, that is, in the word, verse 4 tells us, was life. And now we find the word animating. He's the source of all life, whether natural or spiritual. Paul's words to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 certainly apply to him. He himself gives to all life, and in him we live. Whereas, regarding spiritual life, John the Apostle tells us in his first letter, this life is in his Son. It's in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And next, in John chapter 1, which we're exploring, we read, And the life was the light of men. That's still in verse 4. That is, here's the word now revealing and enlightening. He's the true light that lights everyone, verse 9 tells us, so that all, without excuse, should have a certain consciousness of God. And so we finally read, this is our seventh point, concerning the word, and it tells us, And the word became flesh. That's verse 14. This is the truth of the incarnation, of how this eternal, personal, divine word, the creator, the animator, the revealer of all, came into his creation. In the letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes of the Lord emptying himself and being made in the likeness of men. We read with wonder from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 how God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And yet here, 
in Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2, here we have the infinitely greater miracle of one who's God, but now in man's likeness. In eternity, as the Son of God, he emptied himself. In time, as the Son of Man, he humbled himself. The giving of himself was something that began in eternity, before he even came to earth to be born. There are two points that we need to be clear about. First, that it wasn't of his deity that the Lord emptied himself in becoming flesh. We've already made reference to the fact that he was God with us. And the Bible repeatedly declares that the one whom the Father sent into the world was the Son. He was the Son before and after his birth at Bethlehem. And secondly, we must affirm that he became truly human. The Gospels faithfully record for us the reality of his humanity in describing at times his tiredness and his thirst. Only as someone who was truly man could he suffer and bleed and die in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. These twin truths of his deity and of his humanity are both to be found in John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thus, the tiny infant form that was upheld in the arms of Mary his mother was at the same time the mighty God simultaneously upholding all things by the word of his power. Well might we say, in the words of the Bible, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, he who was manifested in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16. Well, as well as John chapter 1, there are two other places in the New Testament where the Lord is presented as the Word. They are 1 John 1 and then also Revelation chapter 19 from verse 11, which views the Word as the judge. How different his return to earth will be from his first advent, for he'll come at the head of the armies of heaven to wage the fearful campaign of Armageddon and to judge the nations still alive on earth at that time. The letter to the Hebrews opens by informing us that God has spoken in his Son, who is the Word whom we've been tracing. This not only means through the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth, but also and especially through his person and his actions, for in these the glory of God was seen. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 through to 4, he's given, that's Jesus has given, the highest imaginable descriptive titles, both in relation to the universe, for he's called creator, upholder, heir, but also in relation to God himself, when he's also called the radiance, the image, and the Son of God. This glorious and unique person is presented as the grand finale or last word of God's self-disclosure. With Peter, who was an eyewitness of his majesty on the mountain of transfiguration, we also might say, such a voice. And yet, and this is our final thought for today, the word was never more awesome than when he answered nothing to his accusers. The silent logos, the silent word, and the silence of the word then expressed as perfectly as ever the glory of the eternal God.
Now, after an earlier spell with no booklets, you'll be pleased to hear that with this series, there's a transcript booklet containing all ten talks, and it's free. So if you'd like one or more, please tell us. Now, some listeners tell us they use them in house group studies, and it helps to clarify if you have a book in front of you where you can discern which is the capital W on the word and where it's just a normal uh, noun that's being used. So... I'm about to give you our contact details now, so if you've got pen and paper to hand, here's our postal and our email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. I'll repeat that. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info You might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into e-books and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle dash e-books. So just type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find them. Also look out for Search for Truth featuring on www.twr360.org Now we're excited this will give you yet another excellent way of accessing again uh, what you first heard here on air. (coughs) So many thanks once again for listening. We value your interest in these programmes. We do really appreciate it. So please listen again next week when we bring you the second talk in this series and I look forward to you joining us. Until then, Very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye and may God richly bless you. (laughs) 